0: This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard, take the lead.
1: Hello and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. As you may have already heard, 2024 is the year of the election, um, with more than 50 countries heading to the polls this year, including the big one, the US. Knowing that much of what happens in Australia is dictated by other nations, it's important to consider how all these elections might affect financial markets. With me to do just that is GSFM Investment Strategy Advisor, Stephen Miller. Uh, thank you so much for joining no, us, Stephen. it's my pleasure, Chloe. <laughs> um, now, Stephen, as mentioned, we're in the year of the election. Um, what are the key elections that we should be keeping an eye on Um, The US election is always a big one, um, but this one is shaping up to be one for the ages, it seems.
0: Yeah, well, look, I think you said in your introduction that there's, you know, uh, more than 50 countries uh, participating in elections this year. That's over 50% of the world's population. Crazy. And so there's a number of them. Obviously, the US election looms large, you know, with uh, it looks now that uh, uh, Donald Trump has probably got the Republican nomination sewed up. Uh, and so it'll be a Trump v Biden, and 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 it won't just be the you know uh, can I call it sometimes febrile political environment. Some may use the term dysfunctional political environment in the US. That that, that I think what what that does is in the first instance it elevates uncertainty, uh, and markets don't particularly like uncertainty. And so, you know, what that might mean is that that might be one source of volatility in financial markets, particularly as the election gets more proximate and particularly if it looks close. And of course, the implications will be different depending on who wins. You know, so uh, on the one hand, if you have the incumbent President Biden winning, You know, I think what a number of investors will be looking for is some of the policies that he's promoted in terms of sponsoring, government sponsoring of, you know, decarbonisation. Who are going to be the beneficiaries of that? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other issue that's out there, and I think this is regardless of who wins, is things like uh, supply chain security. Now, supply chain security sounds good, but often it's a a Trojan horse for protection. So I think that's the other issue we need to sort of keep an eye on in the US. Oddly enough, one thing that President Biden and ex-President Trump both agree on is the need for more protection. Now, if that has positive elements like supply chain security, that's fine. But often it's just protection for political expedience sake, and that comes at the cost of long-term economic growth. But let's return to this supply chain security issue. Yeah, You know, um, I think what the US is looking at, for example, um, you know, an important election issue was the Taiwanese election. Taiwan is the home of 90% of chip makers. What was the US response to that? Well, the US response was to uh, look at perhaps subsidising chip making in the US. So this would include uh, uh, TSMC, it would include Intel, companies like that. Uh, and so those sorts of uh, policies will be important in terms of uh, for investors engaging. You know, in investments in that particular sector, I think the other thing too with a, a Trump election or with the protectionist sentiment very, very high. Uh, and again, I'll just park the Fed for one for for, for one moment. But if if this protectionist protectionist sentiment does grow, I think what it might do is it might limit the extent to which the U.S. dollar can fall, given um, a certain amount of Fed easing. So the higher right. the rates of protection. Generally, that supports a currency. So let's say the Fed, the Fed tells us it's going to cut rates three times to about 4.6 according to its median dot plot. The markets are a bit more optimistic than that. But as the Fed cuts rates, we'd expect the U.S. dollar, if other central banks aren't cutting rates, we'd we'd expect the U.S. dollar to depreciate. Now, to the extent that protection uh, or tariff protection or, or, or protection through subsidies increases... I think we can expect the US dollar not to depreciate as much. And so investors, again, will need to think about that. Does that mean that um, countries outside of the US might gain a competitive advantage in certain areas where there's an absence of protection? So there's all these sorts of issues that we need to think about. If I could mention another election, which I also think is important, we've talked about Taiwan, we've talked about the US Uh, The other election that I think is very, very important this year is the EU election. So there's going to be a new European Parliament elected, I think, around about the middle of this year. Okay. Um, And now now I think the reason that's interesting is, you know, we we talk a lot about the fragmentation of traditional powerful political parties. You know, we're, we're witnessing that not so much in Australia, although it's happening here with Teals and greens sort of usurping some of the ground from Labour and Mm, and, and, and and the coalition. But uh, in Europe, we're seeing it as well with the rise of the far right. So we saw the Dutch elections late last year that saw Gert Wilders uh, achieve the highest vote. Uh, We know Marine Le Pen's a force in France. We know the AFD in Germany, not that they're facing an election this year specifically for Germany, but the AFD in Germany is very strong. So what we might see in the EU elections is perhaps. What we'll be interested in is how strongly these far right or, or, or far right populist parties poll and what the implications of those might be. And I think it's very difficult for us, we know there'll be implications, but it's very difficult for us to discern what they might be because those parties aren't parties of the traditional liberal democratic right. You know, they're not uh, pro market, free enterprise, low tax uh, parties. They're more culturally populist, anti-immigration, pro-protection, as I've said. And they might sort of upset, if you like, the the political dynamic that's currently operating within the EU. So that's something else to keep an eye on. And the other one um, I might mention um, is there's a UK election due this year or early next. And now it looks at this stage that that will almost inevitably result in a change of government. And with a change of government, there'll be a change of emphasis in terms of policies. although. My suspicion is that unlike the last UK election, this is a a more centrist uh, Labour platform that they'll take to this election. And one that's due, but we're not sure if it's going to happen, is there's an election due in Ukraine. Yes. And there's an election due in Russia. Now, Russia will probably be a rubber stamp process. No surprises there. Ukraine it's going to be difficult because you don't know you know, with the country being a lot of people displaced, a lot of infrastructure damaged, um, it being, you know, um, uh, certainly under some quite severe form of attack from Russia, whether and how that election might take place. Now, that probably doesn't have a lot of market implications, but because it's a sort of a geopolitical event frothing away in the background, it could, again, be a source of, you know, extra volatility in markets. And I think when we get back to it all, The thing about all these elections is that uh, I I, I think the one thing that we can say unequivocally is it will lead to much greater volatility in markets, and we're not seeing that at the moment. You know, markets seem pretty, I think, complacent in some sense. Now, you know, I think the Goldilocks is rightfully the most credible scenario, you know, the soft landing, maybe rate cuts from central banks, inflation dissipating, Activity growth probably slowing down, but not too much. That's great. And I think that is the most probable outcome. But there's a quite a big range of risks around that. And as these risks, I think, assert themselves, whether it's an election risk or geopolitical risk or what's happening in the Middle East or whatever, that's when we'll get these bouts of volatility in markets. Now that's opportunity, but it's also, you know, it can be a little bit scary for investors sometimes. And those shifts in sentiment that result from that can uh, can bring big shifts in the prices of financial assets. So I've given you a lot to unpack there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you. You know, there is a fair bit to think about, I think, for investors uh, at this point in time, when markets look pretty good, when the soft landing looks likely, because we know what often looks likely in January or February is not what happens for the rest of the year. So that's why I'd, I'd, I'd I'd, I'd urge some caution.
1: Yes. Oh, well, thank you for such a comprehensive answer. There's a lot to think about. And yes, it sort of feels as though we're in the eye of the storm. Everything seems calm right now, but there's, you know, something sort of swirling around us. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think, well, I, you know, and, I, and again, I think that's right. So what are the investment lessons from that? It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it, we know that bonds and equities are the foundation of a, of a, let's call it a multi-asset portfolio. Everyone's, mm-hmm. everyone's superannuation generally has a foundational element of uh, equity exposure and a foundational element of bond exposure, and that's appropriate. Now, we used to talk about 60-40 portfolios. I think what we've learned in the last couple of years is we can't always rely on that um, negative return correlation between bonds and equities. It's probably going to reassert itself this year, probably, but we can't always rely on that. So I think what investors might want to do, particularly in an environment of higher volatility, is to look at um, perhaps uh, sources of return in their portfolio that aren't correlated with, you know, bond beta or equity beta, aren't correlated with returns in the bond market and aren't correlated with returns in the equity market. Now, what might those things be? They might be long short funds, whether bonds or equities. So there's no, you know, you don't have as much interest rate sensitivity uh, involved in those. They might be macro hedge funds. They can, although this is a bit more controversial, it might include exposures to things like gold. Uh, although, as I say, that's a little bit more controversial. So rather than a 60, 40 portfolio, as we traditionally think of, you know, and again, the better time to have done this might've been a year or two ago. You know, it's probably better that investors think about things like 40, 30, 30 portfolios, you know, 40 equities, 30 bonds, and 30, there's other stuff that I'm talking about. Now, it's very easy for me to sit here and say that because when i go when I look at the other stuff, you've obviously got to pick a skilled manager, you know one that's the, the, you know and and because a lot of the a lot of the products that purport to be non-correlated, you'll find that you know when the pressure goes on, they're a lot more correlated with either bond or equity beta than is that is sometimes made out. So do your homework on the manager is, I guess another thing I'm saying. And while I'm on it, the other thing about volatility is this is that, it tends to in equity markets. There tends to be a greater dispersion during times of volatility of individual stock performances. So what that does is it increases the potential potential returns from investing again in a good active manager. Now you've got to find a good skilled active manager. So we're going to get a, a probably a lot more dispersion in individual stock performance and a good active manager will um, perhaps add value to a portfolio in that sense. The trick being to find a good, uh, uh, a good active manager. And in saying that, I'm not ruling out that, you know, the base or foundational elements of a portfolio might be comprised of bond and or equity ETFs. But I think those sorts of observations are important. If I'm right, and this environment, this, this election environment, this geopolitical environment is going to occasion at some stage, Some increase in volatility in financial markets.
1: Yeah, and and on the topic of lessons, um, what impact have past elections had on global financial market? Are there any consistent patterns or trends that you've observed over the um years?
0: There there, there probably are. I'm not sure that they're going to tell us much about what's happening this year. And it goes back (laughs) to something that I said earlier. You know, it's the traditional parties, you know, on the left it's generally, on, on the on the center left it's generally been social democratic type parties like our Labour Party. And on the right it's been, you know, uh, small c conservative liberal economic parties like our Liberal Party, or the Conservatives and Labour in the in 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 the UK, or the Democrats and Republicans in in the US. Not so much in Australia, but elsewhere, and and it is present in Australia, as I said earlier, but elsewhere we're sort of seeing a fracturing or, 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 or if you like, some of the right parties uh, are evolving into perhaps less market-friendly manifestations, you know, where uh, I mentioned protection earlier, I mentioned increased regulation, I mean, you know, uh, uh, these sorts of things. So whereas before, if you've got to say a Republican win, generally markets would greet that with some form of enthusiasm. You know it generally meant lower taxes. It generally meant lower regulation. it generally meant you know letting markets do this stuff, which and the and and the judgment of markets was that this would be good for say say equity beta. I think that's less clear these days. Uh, I think you know the uh, I, I don't expect the Trump platform to be so focused on tax cuts this time around as it was last. so again, you know the markets might not have in, greet a, a Trump. Necessarily greet a Trump victory with you know the enthusiasm that they appeared to back in 2016. I think Europe it's even more pronounced because as I mentioned, those right wing populist parties in Europe are not market friendly. They're not. uh, uh, They do have a a greater proclivity for uh, regulatory intervention. So it's not clear that even we've we've seen that, that traditionally you would have seen so called right wing parties markets greet that. With some enthusiasm. I'm not sure that that's going to be true this time around. Wow. Um, So that could be a difference. Uh, I'm not sure that they'd necessarily, I I don't think markets would be too troubled by a Starmer government in the UK. I don't think uh, they'd be too troubled by a Biden administration in the US. I don't think they'd be troubled by a Trump administration as well. I just think markets would be, they're going to be a little bit more non traditional in their reactions to what might uh, unfold as a consequence of these elections. So you're right in saying, you know, the past, there are some sort of broad trends we can discern from the past. I'm just less sure that they're applicable yeah. uh, in 2024.
1: That's so interesting. So it seems like we're entering a whole new ballgame. Like, yeah. Was it Mark Twain that said the past never repeats itself, but it rhymes? It often rhymes? Yeah, something like so, that. Something like that. So I mean, it's interesting that you think that it'll be completely different this year. So I wonder how it'll play out. completely
0: different might be be overstating it, but (laughs) but I think, you know, there there are nuances that investors should take note of rather than mechanically apply some of the um, consequences of what we've seen in terms of elections past. Yeah, yep. And And there's a growing, I think there is a growing, you know, we're no longer in that sort of what used to be called a long time ago, the Washington Consensus. You know, we're no longer in that, uh, you know, you know uh, regulators are increasingly emboldened. Now, that can create opportunity, but it also can create um, some negativity as well. You know, I talked earlier about government spending on decarbonisation. So there's going to be some winners there. You yes, know? yeah. Um, government spending on securing supply chains. There's going to be some winners there. So, you know, I... I, I I guess you know um, they're the things that we're going to have to look at the specifics of policies and judge who are the winners and who are the losers. And there's also other things bubbling in the background that can be incredibly disruptive. You know, let's look at uh, AI. Now, I'm I'm an old bond guy, so I'm sort of a pretty simple macro guy. So <laughs> you know, I can I can talk I, I can I can mention the words A and I and know that there's going to be an impact. But it's going to be, uh, it's going to uh, uh, hugely assist, as we've already seen, you know, the performance of some stocks, Uh, but it could be quite disruptive for, you know, another set of stocks that aren't equipped to, or companies that aren't equipped to uh, capture uh, the benefits of AI and will suffer the disruptive consequences of it. So, you know, there's all these other things happening as well.
1: Yeah. There's a lot to consider. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephen. You've certainly given us a lot to think about. You've spoken about where you think the opportunities will lie and where investors should remain cautious. And you've also spoken about how important it is to have an active fund manager and really do your homework when you're looking at who you want to take care of your money essentially and your investments. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a
0: pleasure to be here. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.